This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, in the United States, the results of the midterm elections 10 days ago have been a surprise. A red wave, a Republican wave, was expected to blow away the Democrats in both, well, certainly in the House of Representatives, but they could also have expected to win a majority in the Senate, although there were only 33 Senate seats in play. But that's not the way it turned out. What happened was the Democrats did really well. They have lost the House of Representatives, but not by many. And they, in fact, subject to a runoff, which takes place on December the 6th in Georgia, they have a chance of actually increasing their majority to one in the Senate, which means that the vice president's casting vote won't be needed But overall, the red wave didn't take place, and it has consequences. We're joined now from Washington by Niall Stanich, associate editor of The Hill, respected Washington newspaper, and Niall is White House correspondent for that paper. Niall, the midterms were expected, as I've just said, to produce possibly, and probably most people thought, a red wave. No red wave. No, certainly not. A surprising result and surprisingly good for the Democrats, as you have already outlined. In the House of Representatives, which Republicans did take, the final final results are still not in, but it looks like Republicans will have a single-figure majority, and they were certainly expecting much higher than that. In the Senate, I mean, that was really uh, fascinating, a fascinating contest across those states that uh, did have races. And, you know, you've explained it very well. I mean, Democrats are already assured of maintaining control of the Senate because they're already at 50 seats, and the vice president always has the casting vote. That Georgia runoff is set for December the 6th. If the Democrat and incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock were to beat Herschel Walker, a former American football player, then Democrats would have 51. Not only would that alleviate pressure on uh, Vice President Kamala Harris to uh, break any tie, it would also somewhat diminish the influence of the two most 
moderate or centrist or liberals would say weak uh, Democratic senators, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. So really yes. a very good midterms for the Democrats, uh, a very underwhelming one for Republicans. Yes, and the president's party usually gets what I think Barack Obama called a shellacking mm. in the midterms. Indeed, he and Bill Clinton in their time both suffered a shellacking. Mm -hmm. And Joe Biden's poll numbers were pretty moderate. There couldn't have been any expectation, yet it didn't happen. Mm. Now the inquest has been going on for 10 days, hasn't it now? Mm. Particularly for the Republicans. And if we can say a preliminary finding seems to be that Donald Trump did them more harm than good. That's right. That's certainly the argument that has been made by a number of people in the Republican Party. You have, for example, Larry Hogan, the governor of the state of Maryland, just outside D.C., contending that this is the, the uh, third election cycle in a row where Hogan believes Trump cost Republicans the race. He's referring there to the 2018 midterms, the 2020 national election, and this year. The argument about Trump and his purported damage to the Republicans really has two main aspects, Eamon. One is uh, Trump's backing, his endorsement of candidates who were not good candidates, turned out to be candidates who he backed largely because of their loyalty to him. And so that happened in governor's races, it happened in Senate races, and uh, several of those people lost. Uh, and that obviously is a problem. The second part is more wide-ranging, and it's this idea, Mitch McConnell, among others, has put this forward, that Trump essentially uh, has hurt the broader image of the Republican Party, made it more extreme. Um, McConnell, in remarks to reporters this week, talked about the identification of the Republican Party and some of its leaders with chaos and negativity which he didn't name Trump, but he was clearly uh, taking aim at Trump in that respect. So that's the criticism. We do have to point out that there are a lot of Republicans who are still fervently in the pro-Trump camp. Uh, yes. So that is the divide or the struggle that is going on, the debate perhaps would be the best word, going on within the Republican Party. Yes, and in the run-up to the midterms on the stump, Joe Biden and Barack Obama for the final two weeks both insisted that democracy was on the line mm. in these elections. And I think anyone listening to your reports from Washington over the last few years would understand, particularly in recent times and the emergence of Donald Trump, that democracy was indeed on the line because an awful lot of Republicans and Trump Trumpists will not accept that Joe Biden is the legitimate president of the United States. Mm. And that is a very, very dangerous point of view. It's been proven in every court in the land, everywhere it's been tested. It is wrong, but it led to January 6th and that terrible insurrection in which people died and others were lucky not to be attacked, including the Vice President Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi, who announced her retirement this week, or at least her stepping down from the Democratic House leadership. Democracy was, was it not, Niall, really on the line. This wasn't hyperbole. 
No, I don't think it was hyperbole. I mean, you look at some of the candidates who Trump backed who were clearly uh, election deniers, trafficking in conspiracy theories about the 2020 election, and in doing so, undercutting uh, not just the legitimacy of President Biden, but the legitimacy of elections and therefore the democratic system itself. Uh, And you look there at figures who were clearly in that camp, Doug Mastriano, the Republican nominee for governor of Pennsylvania, Carrie Lake, the Republican nominee for governor in Arizona, Don Baldock running for Senate in New Hampshire. Those three all lost. uh, And there was apparently a popular backlash against some of this rhetoric. And just as a as a data point there, Eamon. I mean, in New Hampshire, I mentioned uh, Mr. Baldock, who had been fervent election-denying person during the Republican primary, then tried to reverse himself, having won the primary. It was too late to try to make him a more respectable candidate, and he lost heavily to the Democratic senator there, Maggie Hassan. The point is that there was also a governor's race in New Hampshire where a moderate Republican, who's not an election denier, a man by the name of Chris Sununu, won very, very comfortably in New Hampshire. So you look at a, a, a data point like that, and it seems clear that there is still an electoral market, as, as there should be for normal, conservative, right-of-center people, but that the, the, the fringy types had a much harder time in persuading majorities of voters over to their side. Yes, and Mitch McConnell, speaking to the press this week, declared his belief that Trump and his behavior and his rabble-rousing was hurting the Republican Party with moderate Republicans and with independents. Mm. And that's borne out, really, isn't it, by the midterm results? It is, and it's borne out when you drill down into those results because we have very you know, extensive exit pool uh, data here, and it certainly appears that the warnings that more moderate or establishment Republicans had sounded about Trump were borne out. It's all very well to appeal to that segment of so-called MAGA Republicans voters who will be with Donald Trump come hell or high water. But that, according to polling, represents maybe 35, maybe 40 percent of the total electorate. And that obviously gives Democrats a lot of room to work with, even, it's worth stressing, in a year when, as you said, President Biden's approval ratings are poor, inflation is high, petrol prices, though they have come down, have been high. There's a lot of dissatisfaction. And yet Democrats still did uh, much better than one would expect in the first midterms of an unpopular president's tenure. So, Niall, that begs the question whether the Donald mm. and on Tuesday night in Mar-a-Lago before a cheering audience, he declared that he was going to be the Republican candidate or that he wanted to be the Republican candidate in the 2024 election. He had teased people for a couple of weeks that there was a big, big announcement coming that would save America. And he, he announced the reaction to his announcement is interesting. Rupert Murdoch, I don't think Murdoch has ever liked him, but he's tolerated mm-hmm. Fox News in, and their endorsement of Trump. But the Wall Street Journal, a very influential Murdoch-owned paper, wrote a scathing piece about him. 
And the New York Post, which is a tabloid that Murdoch also owns, diminished him as follows. Florida man <laughs> seeks Republican nomination <laughs> on, on the bottom of the front page, I think. Yeah, yes. And no no mention of the man's name. No, and the actual story on page 26 in that day's edition. So, right. Yeah. And, and, of course, this will gnaw away at the Donald, I'm sure, to put it mildly. It certainly will. I mean, he is hypersensitive to any slights, especially from uh, people whose approval he would like. And Rupert Murdoch is a major uh, player in uh, conservative media and therefore conservative politics here. This is one of the most intriguing elements of all this, and it's certainly getting a lot of uh, attention or fascination across the political spectrum. Is is Murdoch's apparent uh, washing of his hands of Trump? As you say, I mean, the Murdoch outlets had been... um, support of the Fox News more so than the newspapers, generally speaking. Yes. But but uh, it is very interesting. The New York Post, which is a, a fairly pugnacious tabloid, before the, the uh, item that you mentioned, had, had this sort of mocking um, front page of Trump as Trumpy Dumpty, this caricature of him yes. falling off a wall because of the poor results in the midterms. Uh, but I suppose the, the Murdoch, stance is indicative of a broader discontent among Republicans and conservatives with the idea of a second Trump candidacy. There are a lot of people who are even more worried than they were two weeks ago about the capacity of Trump to uh, to crash the Republican car, to lose yes. a, a winnable uh, election. Now, again, worth stressing, lots of Republicans don't think that. He is still probably the favorite, although Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, who we have spoken about before, Eamon, is uh, coming on strong because he did very well in his re-election campaign. Anyway, the point is Trump still has a lot of support, but the voices of dissent or of Trump's skepticism are much louder and more assertive than they were before the midterms. Yes, and DeSantis retained the governorship Mm. of Florida by a margin of 20 points. Now, Florida has often been a swing state, hasn't it, Niall? It has, yeah. With very small margins. And he has consolidated his position as governor of Florida. Trump says that he has lots of stuff on the Santos, right. which, of course, he would say. But from what you can observe and have observed, is DeSantis Trump without the madness in terms of policy choices? And also, if it comes down to it, and they fight for the Republican nomination for 2024, a fight that won't begin too far forward from this moment. Mm. Will DeSantis be up to him, do you think? Well, to take the first part first, this, I mean, you're, you're, you're right in outlining the idea of DeSantis as, as Trump without the madness. If that turns out to be uh, a race that they both, well, Trump is already in it and DeSantis joins that race. This won't be the classic internal party fight, which often pits, you know, a hardliner against a moderate. Trump and DeSantis are both hardliners. DeSantis is clearly drawn from that populist, protectionist right just as Trump is. And he has been very controversial with liberals here because of uh, his policies on migration in particular. COVID was one of the things, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, he he was a a kind of COVID denier, you could say. 
He was very emphatic about not going for the COVID lockdowns, opening up Florida as fast as possible, uh, things like that. Now, there's still lots of debate about that. On one hand, the Florida economy recovered quicker than other states. On the other hand, I'm going from memory here, I think it was 12th out of 50 states in per capita deaths from COVID. And of course, it has a very high uh, proportion of retirees, uh, which made it particularly vulnerable or gave it a particularly vulnerable population. So DeSantis's uh, appeal to Republicans is really that you would get the same kind of policies as you would get under Trump, but DeSantis is competent enough, politically skilled enough to actually enact them rather than shooting himself in the foot by, you know, mad pronouncements on social media or elsewhere, as tends to be the case with Trump. In relation to just briefly, Eamon, whether DeSantis would be a serious contender, he definitely would. In fact, in the immediate aftermath of the midterms, DeSantis has shot past Trump in some polls of Republican voters. Now, we'll have to see if he's at a high water mark right now and that that sort of ebbs. But right now, it would be a very serious risk. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Now, Niall, in a piece you wrote for The Hill, a really good piece, you talked about Trump running for the presidency whilst being in legal peril Mm. on a number of fronts, the most serious, perhaps, is taking classified documents from the White House to Mar-a-Lago. These documents belong with the government. He denied he'd had them, Mm. and he is now actually in trouble. Can you tell us precisely what the status or what his legal status is now? Because he still appears to have refuse to hand back documents that are very serious and and very 
sensitive. Mm. So there was a whole circuitous process about that, but you have hit the main points. Essentially, Trump definitely had documents at Mar-a-Lago that were marked as classified and therefore uh, on their face should not have been in his personal possession. To make a long story short, the relevant authorities uh, made a number of requests, including uh, on occasion uh, a subpoena to get those documents back. It appears that there was never a full and absolute returning of those documents, which is specifically serious because it exposes Trump to the possibility of some sort of obstruction of justice or obstruction of investigation charges, obstructing the FBI, as you might imagine, is a serious business here, rather than the more esoteric, you know, what exactly was the classification of this document or that document. And there have not yet been any um, indictments uh, pressed. In other words, charges have not been brought against Trump yet, um, and they may not be. But if they are, the declaration of candidacy doesn't make any difference on a legal basis, but on a political basis would clearly allow Trump to argue that this is all a partisan endeavor meant to uh, besmirch his name as he seeks to return to the presidency. Now, a remarkable situation arises when we look at Joe Biden. He turns 80, is it this week? Sunday. Sunday he turns 80, yes. Yeah, and he does look frail, but on the question of Ukraine and Russia's war there, I wonder what your opinion is, but my opinion and general opinion, I think, in Europe Mm -hmm. is that he has stepped up to the plate. Mm -hmm. He has galvanized NATO. He has authorized immense sums of money to be given to the Ukrainians, also arms, of course. And this hasn't found favor with everybody. I note that Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is, I think, a believer in QAnon, but she is saying they want an audit of all that money. And I think this is where the midterms are going to prove so crucial in that it bolsters Biden as president and gives him the authority, I suppose, to make big calls on, on Ukraine. Whereas had they had a bad time, it might be Marjorie Taylor Greene mm. or other kind of creepy Republican members of Congress, and some of them are creepy, who would be making calls that would go in Russia's favor. Well, that's, I mean, the, the Republicans, by virtue of taking the House, will still have influence on this because yes. although a president can broadly dictate the contours of foreign policy and has more leeway there than on domestic policy, um, The House of Representatives, broadly speaking, controls the purse strings, which is why Marjorie Taylor Greene and her allies are seeking this audit. It's worth noting that the uh, Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world and and the most um, extreme uh, elements of the Republicans on Capitol Hill are opposed to aid to Ukraine or further aid to Ukraine. And so the widespread assumption is that these requests for audits, which may sound uh, reasonable on their face, are actually being made in um, in bad faith. Um, Kevin McCarthy, who may become Speaker, he would be the favourite to become Speaker in January, has, as is his tendency, charted a rather uncertain course on all this. He, at one point, 
just before the midterms said that he didn't want there to be what he termed a blank check uh, for Ukraine. But then there yes. was pushback from that, including from some more um, uh, conventional Republicans who want the United States to support Ukraine strongly. And so it's not really clear where McCarthy stands on that. But certainly uh, aid to Ukraine will, I think, come under more questioning in the House of Representatives, even if it ultimately still goes through. Now, Biden's situation, Niall, he turns 80, as you say, on Sunday, and he was asked this week if he was going to run again, and he kicked the can down the road. It looks as if he may be minded to run again. What's your own guess on that, Niall, and how difficult might that be, given that he would be 88 when he was leaving the White House? 80, 86, I believe, is my math. Sorry, 86. Yeah, yeah uh, 86 mm. when he was leaving the, the White House for the last time. Mm. And he is not a robust, you know, he's not a robust 80, is he? he he's not. I mean, um, Nancy Pelosi is 82, for example, and appears, I would say, much more uh, vigorous than, than Biden Bernie does. Bernie Sanders comes to mind. That's right, who's 81, I believe. So, yes, yeah. I mean, the, you do raise a point, and opinion polls show a very significant share of the American population concerned about whether Biden can actually um, conduct his business as president effectively. Uh, it's notable that this 80th birthday is not being accompanied by any great um, hoo-ha from the White House who don't seem overly keen to make a big deal of it because those concerns, I think, are so uh, sharp. My personal guess is that he does run again uh, yes. for several reasons. One is he's a very proud person and believes that he has been underestimated for much of his political career. He has some justification for believing that. But the other things, uh, briefly, Eamon, are this strong democratic performance in the midterms clearly strengthens him. And the entrance of uh, Donald Trump to the race, I think, encourages Biden to go again. Whether it's wise from a democratic perspective is a very different debate. I mean, I know we're two years out. Projections two years out are enormously difficult. But if the race ended up Joe Biden v. Ron DeSantis, I would not fancy Biden's chances, to say the least, right. unless the overall political climate changes considerably. Yes. One significant change announced last night, Niall, was that Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House at the moment, and therefore third in line for the presidency, she has decided to step down as leader of the Democrats in the House of Representatives, although, as I understand it, she intends to remain mm -hmm. in Congress. This dreadful attack on her husband, mm. her 82-year-old husband, I think must have given her and lots of people cause to reflect. But she has had a remarkable career, and I note in the tributes to her, they come from all sides of the House, including Mitch McConnell mm -hmm. and many others in the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, Nancy Pelosi is genuinely a historic figure in the modern politics of this country. Having led Democrats for almost 20 years, and the first female speaker in the country's history, and just a very adept and extremely tough uh, political operator. Um, 
known for the uh, ability to control her members in a very effective way, an absolutely pivotal figure, for example, in the passing of Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, to yes. give it its, its full name, the biggest expansion of healthcare in this country in a, a, about half a century. Um, so she is uh, an enormously significant figure. I sometimes think um, outside the United States, these kind of parliamentary figures, for want of a better term, don't get as much attention as they maybe deserve. But she has been pivotal to passing democratic uh, legislation in, during two stints as Speaker, one under President Obama and obviously one under President Biden, and is now uh, returning to the to the back benches. So many people thought that if she would go as leader, she would go completely. But like all members of the House of Representatives, she stood for re-election. She has just one re-election in her district, which is basically San Francisco. And so she intends to continue to serve the, the people of that district for at least uh, another two-year term. Yeah, now just in the context of her age also, I think she's around 80? 82. 82. Biden is 80. Mm. This is the final question, Niall. The Democrats, the generation that must succeed, Mm. Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, where are they? Is it AOC? Mm. Do they exist? Mm. And is that a threat to the Democratic Party? in that they don't seem to have an obvious successor mm. to certainly to Joe Biden. Mm. Pete Buttigieg was mentioned, mm-hmm. but he doesn't appear to be inspiring voters. Mm. What awaits post-Biden, well, post-Nancy Pelosi as well? It's a great question and not a particularly easy one to answer. In Pelosi's case, the hot favorite to become the leader of the Democrats is a a New York congressman called Hakeem Jeffries. Obviously, he'd be going into the minority, but if Democrats ever took back the majority, he would then become the first black speaker of the House of Representatives. Um, Jeffries is a perfectly uh, competent figure, but not somebody who uh, has the sort of uh, heft or charisma of a Pelosi. As far as the presidential stakes are concerned, I mean, you mentioned Pete Buttigieg. Um, Kamala Harris is, I think, 22 years younger than Biden, but again, has not had a particularly inspiring run, to say the least, as vice president and did not have an inspiring campaign in 2020. Um, I mean, exited that campaign before any votes were actually cast. So it is a real question for Democrats. Uh, You mentioned AOC, uh, Congressman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is probably the most, well, she is the most charismatic figure by far among a younger generation and is beloved by uh, younger and older lefties. Um, But there are obviously legitimate questions about whether she would make a run for president and, and ever and whether she would be electable on a national basis because she is, by American standards, very left-wing. So, you know, I I think back, because I've now been here so long to around 2006, 2007, when there was a young senator called Barack Obama, who was incredibly charismatic, but also, you know, could unite the liberal and moderate wings of the Democratic Party, and ultimately did so, defeating Hillary Clinton and then John McCain. there isn't any figure that I see resembling that kind of early Obama type um, pers- person. And that's a, a problem for Democrats, especially when uh, Joe Biden is the age he is, Nancy Pelosi is stepping down from leadership, 
that new vigorous generation is not uh, terribly visible right now. And this is not a question, it's a comment. Uh, we can look forward to the Donald continuing his fight for a great America. He went, he changed that G to glorious this week. A great and glorious America, well, for the foreseeable future, I, I guess. And he's only a sprightly 76, so he has time time to burn that case. <laughs> okay, now we're very grateful to you for joining us from Washington. Thank you very much indeed, Now. Stanich is associate editor of The Hill, and uh, we're grateful to him for all his brilliant reporting over the years for The Stand. To all of you for listening, thank you. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 